Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labuba Pastor's Blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson continues our series in the book of Acts. The title of the lesson is Acts 9, a lesson from Paul's suffering. And we're going to read the same text as from our previous study, which is verse 15 and 16 of Acts 9. It says this, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Something I'm sure you've all heard at some point in our churches in Uganda is that Jesus came to give you a better life in the areas of finance, health, and general material prosperity. This is what is called prosperity theology. It is an extremely unhelpful and unbiblical doctrine that is a stumbling block to genuine believers and gives false hope to false believers. One of its most destructive tenets is that Christians are not supposed to suffer. They teach this idea that Christians should not suffer. You may have heard statements like, Jesus suffered in his life, so I don't have to suffer in mine. I remember having a debate or argument or discussion, whatever you want to call it, one time with a, a someone who I, I believe he was a pastor in a WhatsApp group who was telling me that he never falls sick, or as a Christian, he can't fall sick. And that, that's typical things that prosperity teachers teach. But I remember in the days of COVID that there were a couple prominent prosperity teachers who died from COVID. Now, if we can't learn that there's a problem with their theology from such things happening, I think we need to understand we've been seriously deceived in this area. Today, in, in, in this study, we're going to see that their ideas are completely false. There is nowhere that Jesus, is, that Jesus promises us we won't suffer. And actually, many places in Scripture where, where he tells us, as believers, as his followers, we must suffer. We begin our study by noting what Jesus said about Paul when he first called him to salvation. He said to Ananias, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Suffering was actually part of Jesus' gospel presentation to Paul. Jesus told him that he was chosen as his instrument and that he would suffer greatly for him. Some wrongly suggest that Paul had to suffer a lot to make up for all the sin he committed. That idea is completely contrary to the gospel. Jesus suffered for our sin and took away its consequences. You and I can't pay for our sin. There's nothing we do to make up for the sins we've committed. Rather, Paul spoke of the purpose of his suffering as an example of what it means to truly follow Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, we read, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That's a very interesting statement that Paul makes. If the church is not suffering, then Paul's saying it's, it's lacking in something that is always supposed to be occurring in Christ, which is suffering, which is affliction. 
It is true that Jesus suffered in his life for others, but it is flatly untrue that his suffering meant his followers would not suffer. Rather, the Bible explains that we are to also suffer for the sake of others. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 and 30, we read, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Just how much did Paul suffer? He lists some of his trials in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. We read this. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Notice what Paul is citing as evidence of his claim that he was a better servant than others. He pointed to all the things he suffered to demonstrate that he was a better servant. Now that's ironic. What do prosperity preachers point to to show that God is with them? <laughs> they point to all the ways that they don't suffer, all the ways that they have material success. They point to their, their vehicle, the size of their church, the size of their home, the numbers in their congregation, how much money is in the church bank account, all of those things. And they, that's what shows that they think they're better servants than others of God. And Paul's explanation is completely opposite to that. He says, look at all the things that I have suffered to prove that I'm a better servant than any other believer. Beyond the persecution that, that Paul faced, he also suffered for the gospel in this way, recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 12 to 15. He says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul worked as a tent maker to provide for his needs and the needs of his companions, so that no one would think he was trying to earn money or just be provided for by those he preached the gospel to. God said he had a right to the church supporting him, but he never insisted on this because he didn't want anyone to use that as an excuse not to listen to him. So sometimes he starved rather than reminding people to support him. When Paul wrote to Timothy, 
he gave him this instruction in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. We read, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. What do good soldiers in Christ do? They share in suffering. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said that he believed the church could survive anything except for prosperity. He believed the church could survive anything except for prosperity. There was a church in Laodicea that testified to the truth of Spurgeon's statement. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, we read this. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Notice these people based their spiritual health on the fact that they were materially wealthy. And Jesus contrasted that with their true spiritual condition, saying they were actually blind, poor, and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Money and prosperity have always had a way of making people forget God. This is what Agur referenced in his famous prayer for God's provision of what he truly needed. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, we read, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. God warns the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Proverbs says this is what happens in the character of rich and poor people. In Proverbs 18, verse 23, it says, The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. We see the poverty of a poor person keeps them humble and gentle, while the prosperity of the rich makes them arrogant and unkind. Which type of person does God want his children to be like? In James chapter 4, verse 6, we read, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Bible also tells us that suffering makes us worthy of the call to follow Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we read, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. This text informs us that part of the righteous judgment of God, meaning the right way in which God does everything, is that our suffering proves he's considered us worthy to be citizens of his kingdom. That's a very far contrast again from the false teaching that Jesus is going to remove all suffering from our lives. Jesus told us that if he was attacked, slandered, abused, and then of course we know he was killed, how much worse can we expect to be treated by the world? In Matthew chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 we read, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. 
If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? The idea here is that even though Jesus was perfect, his enemies still referred to him as Satan. Since you and I are imperfect, how much worse will people's slander against us be? It flows very consistently to understand that followers of Christ should follow in the very experience of Christ, right? Doesn't that make sense? If I say I follow Jesus, then of course I must follow the path that he walked. And it is very illogical to say that I follow Jesus when I take a completely different path, not at all like the one he traveled. Let no one trouble or deceive you about these things. If you are truly following Jesus, you will meet trials. In 2 Timothy, we're told that all people who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If we're truly following Christ, we'll meet trials. Don't be upset, for God says without trials we can't be perfect. According to James chapter 1, verses 2-4, to four, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Instead of getting frustrated and seeking to cancel problems when they come, remember that Jesus has told us all these things ahead of time to keep us from falling away. In John 16, from verse 1 to 4, we read, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. Peter tells us, in the same way, not to be surprised when trials come. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, we read, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Notice, again, God's saying a Christian should never be surprised when trials come, because it's exactly what God told us would happen. Instead, he tells us to do this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is exactly what must happen to a true child of God. God bless you all.